here, you know, here's like the advice for founders section. Stop trying to be perfect. Perfect is unattainable. Perfect is a like symptom of white supremacy. It's only going to cause you to fail. Stop it. Stop trying to do it. <laughs> this is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Effing Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. Today, we have two special guests on with us, JP and Roar, who Sarah and I got to meet through a DEI roundtable for a startups event that we hosted a few weeks ago. We'll be sharing what we learned and our insights from all of that next week. But today, we're excited to introduce you to Rockstar founders of Ethics MVP, which is a consultancy that helps startups operationalize ethics. We've had such rich, cool conversations with both of them during the roundtable, and we're really, really grateful that they took the time to share more of their wisdom with us. Um, and as we get started, I'd love if you could briefly introduce yourselves. Ethical. Um, today, Sarah and I have two wonderful guests on with us, Dror and JP from Ethics MVP. And we're so thrilled um, because we met them a few weeks ago through a DEI roundtable that Sarah and I hosted. And we've had so many, you know, really deep and kind of rich conversations around DEI and startups. And Sarah and I will be talking and kind of debriefing about that in a little bit. But um, yeah, we heard such um, kind of wonderful insights and uh kind of amazing, yeah, wonderful insights and, um, and and thoughts from Dror and JP. And so we thought it would be great to have them on the show um, and to hear from them. And so uh, before we get started, Dror and JP, if you could introduce yourselves, that would be wonderful. I'm Dror Yaron, currently an ethics coach at Ethics MVP and co-founder. When, I guess we'll get into the story of Ethics MVP in a little bit, so that's our shared uh, journey. But uh, I was born in Israel, somehow ended up here in the U.S., uh, in New York City, uh, followed love to Pittsburgh, and um, here I am. And I'm JP. I use my initials because I am a millennial Jessica. Uh, and if you know any of us, you know probably dozens of us. So... Uh, it's easy, a little bit easier to use initials to differentiate myself. I am a born Yinzer in Pittsburgh, and um, I began working with Roar about 10 years ago at a robotics lab where we did community engagement and supported research on community engagement and robotics. Um, that work was really interesting because it gave us an opportunity for a really long time to build our skills that we're using today to facilitate professional learning, professional development, conversations and growth around the purpose of technology, interrogate why we build something when we build something, and to do that with our colleagues who are engineers, but also with community and to, to bring those two communities together. I think that will help us sort of transition into the origin story of Ethics MVP too. I have a prior life as a filmmaker uh, which I think lends me well to, you know, the stories of humans and the interrogation of what it means to be human, as well as uh, being a big tech geek and storytelling nerd. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so as our listeners know, Song and I recently graduated from Yale with our MBAs. And I was always, or I was surprised initially at how many of our classmates and kind of of every year were people who were involved in theater or production or music, and then were getting their MBA, and then what they went on to do. It was really interesting. A lot of them ended up going into like human resources or consulting, and they were so good at, like you said, like telling people's stories or finding out their stories. And anyways, it was just, it's really interesting to sort of hear about that background and kind of where you end up in your 30s, kind of in your second act and what you're doing. So yeah, that's super interesting. I guess that makes sense of, of how you, you all met, but what was kind of the origin story of Ethics MVP? Sure. Yeah. It's interesting that you also use that question of what is your origin story? Because in our work, we do the same thing. Um, I think origin stories are so grounding and so important for people. You know, the, the storytelling part is so crucial 
especially when you're working with founders and with startup ecosystems. So to answer your question, as we were doing our work, we have a lot of background working with education ecosystems. So like I said, professional learning and development is something that's very near and dear to our heart. At the same time, we're really close to to big tech space, um, especially robotics. So we had a really great opportunity to see some of the promise of technology, but also the threat that was coming along with it and really felt the anxiety that a lot of people have around emerging technologies, especially things like AI, which is a really big topic right now. <laughs> the Dora and I were sort of asking, you know, with our skills, where else can we be leaning in to make impact? And as we sort of asked that question around our network, a local accelerator answered it for us and said, one thing that we care about a lot at our accelerator is ethics. We're watching the news. We are investors. We run, in, we run programs for startups. We hold portfolios. We want our companies to receive ethics training. Are you guys up for the task of building something in our accelerator? So we said yes. <laughs> and it was, really, it was really so much fun. It was challenging, but it was rewarding. And I'm really pleased with what we've come out of, out of that with. That story looks like embedding ourselves in this accelerator. This accelerator is called Alpha Lab Gear. They're here in Pittsburgh. They focus on hardware and technology. Um, we worked with a really wonderful group of founders who sort of embraced the questions of what is ethics and why, what, why do we need it in a startup and helped us sort of build this, build the airplane as we were flying it. On the other end, you know, we came out with this framework that we call making ethics practical in startup spaces. What we learned was that when you are working in the startup education and programming space, time matters so much. So startups don't have a lot of this time to be investing in, in deeply learning one field, one practice. They're usually coming into a startup with strong technical expertise a couple of other little goodies and you know asking them to engage in ethics is sort of like where do, where do we even start nobody's going to go open you know some texts on socrates or aristotle no one has time for emmanuel kant when you've got a couple of weeks to build an mvp so that's where we came in we were able to distill some big concepts down but what they really needed was something practical yeah. and so that's what we love to do is figure out how you know deliver what we can deliver, make it practical and guide startup founders or, or anybody putting something new into the world through this process. Yeah. So yeah, they don't have time. Uh, and we were even warned by, uh, the team at the accelerator that we were grant funded by Hillman and Benedum to run the pilot and to develop the program. And the Accelerator team suggested just whenever you talk to them, just write something on a piece of paper like that. That's going to be your deliverable for your report. And we're blown away by the response. Actually, founder asked to have regular office hours with us about ethics only. And they ended up producing way more work than we didn't even think they're going to produce work, but they came up with pages and pages of reflections, spreadsheets, Pinterest boards, you name it. They, they, they really dug into that. And the feedback we got at the end is when you are in a startup space, um, there is a lot of stuff that is being put on your plate and that ethics is not necessarily on your radar. But once the space was made to do that, it made a lot of sense and it had a lot of value. I'm about to put... Yeah, something new into the world. And what does that mean? And do I want to come work at that company every day? And what can I do? So that will be the case. I like to talk about, so JP has a film background. I have photography background. I went to art school and I learned to um, express myself and inquire into who I am and, and what am I putting out into the world and be, uh, write statements about it. I did not learn how to make a buck. I didn't learn anything about how to make money with that, all those skills. So my sense was that the business accelerator environment is the opposite. 
So yeah, you will learn how to make a buck. You will learn how to build a business. But the same way that I'm missing the, the business side of my education, there is an important part to just work on your why and your purpose. And how does that uh, show up in your work? So much of what both of you have said just resonates with me so much as a startup founder um, working on a company that's about a year old, having participated in said accelerator programs that are just about like growth, 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 right? Like growth <laughs> by X amount in eight weeks, right? Um, and so I, you know, I went to business school with Sarah, but before that I come from the nonprofit space. Similarly, I had not a business or um, knowing how to use capitalism or to make a buck bone in my body. Um, and so it was pretty jarring to me to come into a space where all we're talking about is, is growth. And so my first like question, non-question to you is like, how do we get you all in every single business accelerator in the world? I, I feel like, you know, I, I've said this to you before, Dror, um, when we were in, um, in the round table together, but I, I wish accelerators, they would just take, you know, one hour, two hours, just um, set aside time to, to help startups like build out, right? Like founding documents or some sort of policies or something like that, something just like practical. And we don't have to spend, you know, all eight weeks on it necessarily, but I just wish there was time set aside and that it was something that was prioritized. I, I was wondering, how do you balance, especially when we're thinking about long-term kind of uh, ethical decisions that we have to make, decisions that we have to make around hiring, right? Like things that usually take up a large amount of resources. When startups, we have to move so quickly, right? Um, when, you know, sometimes we raise funding, we have two years to come up with these milestones and we don't have six months to spend to hire the exact right person in, right, taking all of the marks that we want to um, when we're thinking about, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion and, and all of these things. So what are, yeah, what are some practical ways that we can balance the need for speed um, and the, yeah, and the kinds of uh, like really grounded ethical decisions that we want to make? So yeah, I want I want to touch on growth because that is um, <clears throat> a loaded uh, concept for us. First of all, uh, I'll talk about the, the startup growth. So a question that uh, fortunately is becoming more and more prevalent is just because I can make it, should I? But a similar question can be what type of growth is. I mean, some companies, that is what you need to do, but uh, what does growth mean for us? What is the right pace? Uh, what are the considerations? And I think that if you are approaching fundraising with a clear idea of what, what that means, you can probably mitigate a lot of the pressure, or at least you don't find yourself stuck with an investor that is you know, trying to move you in a direction that you did not mean to go. That is, uh, and JP and I actually came to the point, being in the startup ecosystem, we were like, oh my God, yeah, we have to grow, 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 move fast, break things. And then we were like, nah. No, we are actually, initially, we started hearing that that term uh, lifestyle business mm. sounded kind of derogatory. Uh, then I looked it up and it said that it is a business where you apply who you are as yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's what we are. That doesn't mean we cannot be in every accelerator in the world like Song is asking. Uh, but we will have to think about it may it may not look like ethics and VP turning into a company of uh, hundreds of thousands of, of coaches, uh, but maybe more through building partnerships and through growing the conversation. Uh, and some of it will have our name on it, some of it will not. But what we're looking to grow here is the impact and not necessarily the organization itself. So that, that was my two cents about growth. Uh, I think, Song, a deviation from your question. Uh, and then maybe, and then I will actually try to answer it. Startup ecosystems, accelerators, incubators—they know ethics is important. It's not that they're not prioritizing it. Most of them probably are doing us something. You know, there's something happening there. 
a lot of people already see it as embedded in things that they do, like due diligence. Uh, and it probably is. And the same thing goes for, for founders, right? Like, <laughs> they're not like monsters who are out to do evil. That's the exact opposite. Most of most of your, your startup founders have a dream to make an impact in the world. And um, that's a beautiful thing. And I think that our job is to amplify that, right? And to make sure that they have all the tools that they need business is an inherently human act right like the the process of extracting humanity from that is kind of antithetical to what it should be it should be solving problems for humans it should be making life better and the same thing with ethics ethics is literally the study of how we ought to behave as humans so i if for me it's like really difficult to extract ethics from like the natural holistic process of like running a business yeah um and so, you know, the pressure for growth for a lot of leaders is something that they really need to balance with their values. I, my goal, you know, our mission with Ethics MVP is for not just startup founders, but anybody who is an innovator, an entrepreneur, putting something new into the world, we want them to feel empowered to make something good, <laughs> to make that, that thing, um, whatever it is, have that positive impact in the world. So understanding who you are, understanding what your values are, that for me is really, really important. So yeah, I wanted to put that out there. Just because we exist as ethics MVP, we are not saying that our, you know anyone out there is unethical, but we want you to, we want to make sure you have the tools that you need to do the human work of running a startup and running a business. We also recognize that doing something positive is not an absolute term. So and in that way also like you can say oh this person well we don't talk about people we talk about decisions but as we work with founders to understand their values we recognize that those values may uh, may come in conflict with each other and when you make decisions there'll be some trade-offs between your values so it's not like there's not like a perfect beautiful the best decision ever but I believe that we believe that if you are aware of the trade-offs you're making, of the values that are in conflict, you will make a better informed and a more ethical decision. I really like that way of, of thinking about it. I'm I'm thinking back to some of my favorite, not so favorite social impact founders that I have worked with in my career. And I was in the not very optimistic position of really scrutinizing the potential negative impacts that these companies were having to communities. And what I found was kind of what you're saying. And I wish that I'd had that framework to even appreciate the decisions they're making. And then also sort of ask that in that way, what I saw was these things that were supposed to be making a positive impact in their communities. And maybe they were, right. Maybe there was a real tangible positive impact to whatever it was they started but they felt like in order to make that impact, they had to sacrifice on all of these other things and hadn't really thought about those other things as even really mattering to their values, right? But they're really negative things. You know, you're talking about people not making a, a, a decent wage, people having poor working conditions. Um, you know, a lot of it had to do with workers and thinking about, you know, no access to like complaint policies or healthcare, things like that. But those are real things that really impact the community, regardless of the social impact. So I really like what you said about, you know, can you challenge or obviously through this framework you've put together, walk a founder through what are all of your values, you know, thinking about them holistically. And at some points, right, you might have to make some sacrifices or more weight one value than the other, but at least you know you're doing it as opposed to sort of letting things just fall. I really like that way of, of thinking about it, that it, it's always a positive, proactive decision. And, and sometimes there's, there's negative things, right? Sometimes I know something we talked about during that, that um, round table was, you know, especially for startups, existing as a company is a value. And sometimes that's going to have to be more important than some other thing. In fact, it often might be, but at least you've made that decision. You acknowledge that you maybe you can't do this other thing right now because you want to exist as a company in six months. Yeah, survival is definitely a value. 
I do still like to say, like, you, you got to know also your stopping point. I mean, if it's ethical or if it's like your mental health or physical health or like at, at some point, it's not worth it. Uh, but no, but definitely survival is one of those values that you have to take into account. And sometimes we do make uh, some trade-offs so we can exist in the world and do the good that we hope to to do. But yeah, there's... It's it's a complex thing. There's not just one, like you say, one positive impact. I'm driving. Right, 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 right. Yeah, ethics is a tool, right? It's a decision-making tool. Never will I let anyone in my presence use ethics to like make a 100% determination on anything. <laughs> I think also, here, you know, here's like the advice for founders section. Stop trying to be perfect. Perfect is unattainable. Perfect is a like symptom of white supremacy. It's only going to cause you to fail. Stop it! Stop trying to do it. <laughs> um, it's only it's only human to, to make errors. Instead of trying to be perfect, be honest, be transparent. That's a much better way to, to deal with ethical issues that come up. Yeah, and I think it, I think it makes you more accessible as a as a founder, as an employer, as a company. When you're you're honest, you're vulnerable, and you're putting that messaging out there too. Yeah, and we, we are finding. That yeah, more and more it is not a nice to have. It's a need to have uh, stakeholders from uh, investors, customers, talent, and others are expecting companies to have a very clear purpose and to act on it in, in a way that is correlated with that purpose, that matches that purpose. And, and that is the need we are seeing. It's, it's not always visible to people inside the system because we, are, we move fast and we break stuff. And um, Yeah, but once the space is made again, that we, it seems like the value is appreciated. So I want to reiterate what JP said. We look at ethics as a decision-making tool. And when you work with us, we can only walk you that far. Something that is part of our process is working with the founders on developing what we call a journey plan. Uh, we call it a journey plan because we, from day one, we tell them ethics is not a destination, it's a journey. We are not going to attain ethics at the end of the course, but you're going to learn how to, to do ethics, I guess. And that plan includes, yeah, how do you make that a normal conversation in your company? How does ethics become part of everyday business? Um, and we ask for very specific details from timing and triggers to responsible people to what, what are you going to do? I boiled it down for, um, <laughs> for the assignment to who's going to do what, when, in order for that to happen. And, and please tie to sound like, don't make it like a, a retreat once a year where everybody gets out of their context and goes and reflects and has a moment and, uh, and then go, goes back to work. Yeah, but how does that show up on your purchase orders? Or, I mean, one company we worked with decided that every time they hire, they're going to revisit their ethics uh, in order to have a conversation with whoever they hire and also uh, get their input on what that is. Um, I did give the purchase order. It's a real example for sourcing your suppliers for human treatment of workers and who do you want to buy from in that specific case it was women-owned businesses that that business wanted to support there were those founders that said that they take a walk every week and and we're also trying to when we ask for that we're like what can you do today so let's not plan for when you have like your hr department and like outside consultants and how does that fit into what you're doing today uh, and then when you grow it you probably will grow it with that but you can start today. Like you've said between the two of you, two things that I want to highlight because I can just feel how true they are. One is that it not only does it not have to be perfect, but stop try striving for it to be perfect. I can vi viscerally feel in some of the spaces I'm in that that is kind of ruining how things are being operated right now. That's not necessarily through work. That's just like in life right now because of this desire for perfection and, and a certain type of scrutiny is actually bringing down the ability of the humans within the space to interact, 
and not do things perfectly, et cetera. So hearing you say that was really important. And then the other is how do these practices get totally embedded into your organization, right? That it's not this extra, this extra checkbox. It's, it's how you do things. It's the little things. I think something like this can sound really burdensome to a founder who hasn't nece- who like has this idea of it's important but hasn't necessarily put it into practice. Um, and like Song said, right, wouldn't it be amazing if accelerators spent like one hour having this conversation, encouraging you to have a conversation with your co-founders to put together some documents? It doesn't have to be the whole eight weeks, right? But can you have a, a check-in, a regular check-in, like you said, this this walk? I feel like those two things are so important and also make it real. Like you said, like these are humans in business and the way that we act is important and bringing our whole real selves to our business is really kind of what this is about and not, because yeah, I mean, I know people who've made what feel like some personal sacrifices that they felt like they had to, because they kind of had to let go of something about themselves or something they value in order to make the business run. So kind of like this framework of thinking about these things. And talking about perfection also, I, I want to point out uh, that part of that journey plan is also what do you incentivize? So if you incentivize perfect, you run a risk of people wanting it to appear perfect because that's that's what they're rewarded for. Yeah, I really appreciated your point about, right, like incentivizing perfection versus, for instance, incentivizing transparency, right? Or incentivizing honesty. And it reminds me of like sort of the, uh, for New Year's, everyone, you know, if you make a New Year's resolution and you don't stick to it, you feel like, you know, it's just like this burdensome thing you have to do. And then you fail and, you know, in three weeks and, and you just feel terrible and you don't want to do it anymore versus maybe coming up with like a framework or just a lens with which you will approach the year. Um, and it just, it gives you room to make mistakes, but also to something that you're striving for. And that's something that you have maybe internal accountability for in some way that, that looks to, to honesty and transparency rather than like perfection. And so that's, that's encouraging for me as someone who is trying to put in some processes into to my own work. So I really appreciated that point. Yeah, Song, that's why, um, that's why we look at ethics as an MVP itself, right? What is your minimum viable ethics product? You know, <laughs> if you're just starting your business, can you, can you get the basics down of your ethics? Just like your product, what else can you iterate on? What features can you add? Are there benefits? Are there gains? <laughs> How do you communicate this? Do you have marketing around it? You know, it's, um, I, I encourage them to look at it just the same way. Yeah. We're talking about doing ethics, but in the process, we also are looking at communicating ethics. Um, and, and something we do with the founders is have them review what others in their field are saying about ethics, uh, which currently in most cases leaves them feeling empty inside and <laughs> wanting more. Uh, but also drives them to do better in terms of communication. An example that where where I was kind of surprised with my response uh, because I was like, "You have to do it. Don't just speak." Um, and after the insurrection in the capital, a bunch of businesses actually did something and pulled their money. And and but all of a sudden, what bothered me was like, "Well, what are they saying?" And I went back and started looking at it. So I, I think there's a both are important and maybe more than that a connection between them that they reflect each other if i say i believe this and i'm doing something if i'm doing something and i'm doing it for the reasons or at least i want to know what your reasons are um so i have kind of a more general question so kind of taking a step back maybe for listeners who aren't founders themselves or founders who like haven't really dug into this and I'll ask the question in two different ways that may have two like slightly different answers, but you can kind of choose which one to pick, which is what are the common ethical questions that a startup founder has to engage with? And the other sort of way of asking the question is, are there questions or, or situations or decisions that founders have to make or come um, into tension with that they don't expect, that they didn't think that that was going to be part of the founder process? 
I was I was waiting to see who was going to jump first. I'll I'll add I'll do I'll do one one piece that I have. That's why ethics is something that is it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Yeah. And when it comes to specific questions that uh, founders can't anticipate, and there are a lot of very important questions, and some of them are coming up now more and more from the founders, like equity and inclusion. And... In our experience, so this I don't want to make this general, but founders are interested in establishing really healthy cultures, cultures that attract talent, which I think is, you know, it says a lot for who, you know, today's founders are that they really want to be good workplaces where people aren't, aren't hustling, aren't working 16 to 20 hours a day, um, where people get to be people, where people get to live their lives alongside the company. They're also, especially, you know, in the technical fields, asking who could this harm? And that, that I think is, you know, your number one ethical question or one of your number one ethical questions, right? Because it's the flip side of look at all the benefits, look at the impact it has, but to take time, man, to find time to pause and say, who could this hurt is a really big deal. So um, for anybody looking to, you know, start thinking about how do we normalize ethics in our, in our startup, in our company, um, examine who this could harm. Yeah. That's a, that one is really important. Some other ones are asking, you know, su- about supply chain issues. They're asking about sustainability. They're asking about environmentalism. And this is where, again, you know, you see, especially when you're a cash drop startup, you're, you're doing values trade-offs. You're imagining, well, yes, I want, I want to be sustainable. I want to be environmentally friendly. I want to be giving back, but I only have $10,000 to start the manufacturing process. What do I do? So it, having having that intention and then figuring out how to make that intention come to life once you have once you are able to survive is is an important question for them some of them are also asking about how much equity is fair to give to employees or co-founders so i think that fairness question is really important and i know that you know giving out equity is loaded especially when you go to look for investment but they're asking those kinds of questions as well and then like dor said in 2020 and 21. Yeah, asking uh, as a startup, what is my responsibility when it comes to racism? What is my responsibility when it comes to diversity and equity and inclusion? When we have maybe two white guys in our startup, what does that mean for us? So again, like making it a priority to spend time asking that question is a, is a huge ethical win in a startup. Mm-hmm. Data, what you do with data. Founders are more and more aware they have to have a plan for data, uh, especially if you know, they want to practice ethically. It will not happen by itself. You have to make choices. Um, another good question that we hear the South by Southwest. JP, do you remember who said it or what talk was it at? Attribution is important. I think it was the talk on why do we fear innovation. Yuval Harari and uh, Mayim Bialik. Yeah, so Yuval Harari suggested that uh, if you're developing a capacity or technology, go for a walk. Think about a political leader that you're scared of and try to imagine what will they do with that capacity and build some safeguards into your design in that way. So think about like big power that maybe is uh, advancing ideas and, and, and agendas that are toxic to you. Um, and try to understand how what you do can help that. <laughs> One thing that we talk about on this podcast a lot, and and Song, actually, with your experience now as a startup founder, um, would love your input on this as well. So is an idea of like not getting overwhelmed by all of the decisions. And, and obviously, you know, we talked about not trying to be perfect, but sometimes it can be very overwhelming, right? Here in the U.S., we have made a lot of the potential harm that comes out of the products or companies we put together. They've been externalities, right? They are, you know, produced by people in a different country and we're not thinking a lot about their work environment, but now we're being pushed to think more and more about that. And that can be very overwhelming to think about every single thing coming in and out of your company. So I guess the question is one, is that something that you kind of engage founders with? 
do you have any recommendations? And then, yeah, Song, I would love if you have any, you know, up to the moment thoughts on how, how that process is going for you, like, you know, balancing um, what pieces to care about and, and what you can actually do about what's coming in and out of your company. I would say that I found that value and purpose are very effective at uh, actually creating a focus and making making it less overwhelming in a way. I mean, once once you know and once your team knows and everybody's moving in the same direction, there's going to be a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of decisions to make. But even having a word that we are all oriented toward can really help in decision-making, can really guide in general yeah, what we take on, what we don't take on. Dror, I am really surprised that you answered that question and it wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've picked up on the fact that Dror likes to answer questions with a question or kind of like a vague, like, well, it depends on the framework, which it does. I really appreciate that. I mean, I don't think that you're doing a service. Very literally. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be my answer. I'll just ask the question back of you. (laughs) How do you, uh, you also as founders, how do you manage being overwhelmed, right? What is your decision-making process? What tools do you have? Have you figured out what your priority is? How do you communicate that priority? Right. Uh, It's something that I've been grappling with a lot because I come from I come from a perspective again like working in the nonprofit space, working in the civil rights space, working in um, doing immigrants' rights work, right, doing forced labor work, workers' rights work, and so that's always at the forefront of my mind. And so I'm, I came when I first came into this work, the things that I felt like I had to prioritize were things like, okay, where are we going to be? sourcing like where are we going to be manufacturing right like how are we going to make sure that our supply chains are um, the the cleanest and the most ethical that they can be right for instance but then as I am kind of in this space where I'm, I'm literally setting up every single structure for this company that's hopefully going to grow into something that will provide jobs and save lives and and you know do all of these this good that we want to do in the world like there there are so many considerations and so I find myself getting overwhelmed sometimes. And I feel like I have to take things one step at a time. Like I need to not think about supply chains right now because we are not there. Right now, I have to think about and prioritize my kind of like ethics and and my decision-making based on what our core competencies will be. Um, But right now, before we have a product to kind of deploy into the world, my co-founders, my two co-founders and I, and I'm so grateful for them because, so we have a pretty diverse team. It's you know, myself, I'm an Asian woman. Our CEO is a black man and our CTO is a white man. And, you know, the three of us constantly have conversations around what it is to be like, for example, a woman in the tech space, what it means to be a black man in the tech space, right? What it means to be Asian in the tech space. And I'm so grateful that we have those conversations, but it's been really challenging, like knowing where our values stand and then trying to trying to implement that in, in the real world. And so I, for example, we talk about like talent a lot, right? And talent, and we're going to have funding to hire one engineer. So this one engineer that we hire, like what are the decisions that we're going to, to make to hire this one engineer? Um, and because we have such specific, specific criteria, for example, they have to have a PhD and they have to be from, they have to be U.S. citizens, for example, right? There are such specific criteria that sometimes we've been kind of struggling with our, our own kind of internal values of needing to prioritize diversity and kind of, you know, our limited resources around hiring this one person. Some of the things that we have been doing as a team is like, Over the summer, we had uh, interns from local high schools here who were were students of color. And we have been working with one of the high schools here in New Haven locally to build a program with like the coding club to see if we can have like an internship program that we spend a few months over the school year working with the students um, and then having kind of a pipeline to our like an internship program with us or something like that. And that's like 
I don't know if I don't want to say it's the things that we're doing to make ourselves feel better or something like that. Um, we would like to think that we're actually, you know, living out our values in ways that balance what we can do in the moment and and being real with our limited resources and thinking about other ways where we can um, fully kind of live out our values and express who we are as a team through uh, through these other things through, by like investing in our community. You're making me think about shout out to our roundtable for bringing up the, is there a way that startups, you know, where we can get 50% good, 80% good at something, and then you get, get to a place where you are at the hundred percent level. And I really appreciated like that framing where that's the language that startups understand. How can we apply that to things like DEI? Because you're never going to be perfect. Give up that dream. But as you're building, what do those things look like? And maybe for you guys, maybe for your startup, that's the pathway that you're on. And it doesn't, you know, it never makes you feel good. You never feel absolved. And I think that might be another podcast <laughs> topic. But um, and the goalpost keeps moving also. I mean, we it's a human system. So like, again, it's a journey. It's when there is no destination. It just... How how do you like are you are you littering as you like are done eating your sandwich or <clears throat> are you leaving some water for the birds I don't know but it, it's a journey it's it's not necessarily a yeah we got that done there's no checklist necessarily I also want to talk about growth because we talked about it earlier and I, I think I said something like um, well some companies have to grow and I want to take that back <laughs> so uh, um, we, we we are joining. Um, this conversation at the time where the uh, business roundtable was signaling that we need to change our priorities from shareholder value to stakeholder value. And I think that we are starting to hit a wall. And in 2020 is a great example of you. It's, it's very, um, the narrative of growing forever and continuing to grow is not realistic. Uh, we are sacrificing our planet. We are sacrificing our well-being. Uh, we recently talked to a colleague in AgTech, and uh, she mentioned that she's seeing a consensus that the, the goal is to increase output. But if you just look at the past year, output is not our issue. It's getting that food to the people that need it. I mean... This year exposed like the whole logistical side of, of the, the food industry as like, okay, if restaurants are not open, it's going to go to waste while there's people that just lost their jobs. And, and part of it, we may need to shift our priorities. And, and I hate to put it on founders because <laughs> that's the hardest spot and like you don't have money. But I think each and every one of us in a small way and, and none of us is going to change it single-handedly maybe needs to start signaling that maybe growth is not the ultimate goal for us. Uh, because even if, if you have a big company, but you don't have a planet to have it on. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're thinking about like ecosystem priorities, right? I think that songs experience signals that the ecosystem also has a responsibility to challenge who is a tech worker, who counts as a tech worker. Um, these are conversations that we're adjacent to because I think they're ethical issues. And then who is an entrepreneur who gets to be an entrepreneur, who, who gets to wear that label, who has to wear that label? It, like Those are other really big questions that we ask. And especially when it comes to when it comes to diversity, right? We know that diverse perspectives can make us more ethical. They can make us more fair. <laughs> um, we do better business when we have a variety of perspectives. So you know, the ecosystem questions, right? Like Dora said, there's a lot that we have to have to wrestle with beyond an individual founder or, or one startup. And you know how excited that war gets me, right? Ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I would go to work on ecosystem, really difficult problems today. Just, just give me a call. I can work with the founder until I'm blue in the face, but then if they go out into the world and like nobody speaks that language and like there is no common ground, it's hard, and I, th I think that it will require. It is important to work with the founders, and at the end of the day, they want their company to be reflections of who they are. But uh, it requires a wider conversation. I think it requires a systemic change, 
I've been hearing more and more that this this structure of like one founder with a slide deck pitching to like a very rich person and like is that benefiting us as as a society? Is that the best way we can go about innovation and about moving forward? That's more just one question, but there's yeah, I would love to have those questions with anyone that's interested to to pick it up with me. Um, I'm I'm really loving this conversation and song something that that you had said earlier about all of these decisions and trying to make the right one. It just reminded me of uh, actually not a specific podcast, but in general, listening to Brené Brown's podcast. Um, she talks a lot about how shame and guilt aren't feelings that make us like better people or make better decisions. It just makes us defensive. And so, and at least, especially with hiring. And I think that's just because song you and I, this has both been, been on the top of top of our minds. You know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about how, you know, looking for a senior leader in a certain position that was going to be underpaid for a lot of reasons that it's very likely that the candidate pool that they would be looking for was going to end up with a lot of white men who were already rich. And, and the, the conversation we were having, and I'm kind of reflecting on it now, I'm glad that we at least had that conversation, that it's not about feeling guilty that like we had to hire another white man. It's about recognizing that the structure of maybe it's the way that you or your organization has put certain requirements or there's, you know, external forces putting certain requirements on hiring that sort of forces certain aspects of, of the candidate pool or something else. But feeling guilty about it doesn't actually get us there, right? But like questioning, why are these the requirements we have? How much are we paying this? Where are we looking? How can we broaden our candidate pool? Like there's so many other questions that we can have, but I've just been thinking a lot for myself in making these decisions, whether in a business or in general, and reflecting on, like I said, what, what Brené Brown says a lot, that like feeling shame about it isn't going to make me make better decisions. It's just going to make me feel bad and feel defensive as opposed to creative and draw, like you're saying, like rethinking the whole system. Is it even put together in the right way in the first place? Like it takes a lot of creativity and bravery to even get there, especially as a founder, right? Because you are operating in the system with with limited resources. Yeah. And as we have established in this conversation, I'm a big proponent of questions, not answers. So, uh, yeah, but but those have the power to move things. So like what you're saying is, oh, I'm stuck and I can be like, oh, I'm so bad. I'm perpetuating the wrongs of, of the world. Or, or this is a choice we had to make. Uh, why? What is driving it? And in some way, naming the problem is the first step. I mean, once you know what the problem is, you may notice ways to address it in small ways or big ways. Or And now to naming values, I have to give JP a big thank you because, I mean, I, I think that I've been always operating from a place of intention. Uh, and as we were working together at the Robotics Institute, we were working alongside each other on different projects. And yeah, at some point, JP and her team were starting to bring up, no, we need to name our values and we need to say them out loud. And I'm like, yeah, man, we, we're doing well. And But I was well, proven wrong. Again, we're not talking about feeling ashamed. But once I took the invitation and named the value. And I was like, wow, everything is falling into place. And I mean, even just saying it out loud uh, can impact the way you, you show up and the way you make decisions and the way you act. So thank you, JP. You're welcome. I think you put that, I think you put that, yeah, nailed it. Thanks. Well, great. I think that that kind of, I'm just thinking it's like very esoteric, but I think that that's a great point to kind of end on is that these are really big questions and there's no right answers, which I think is the types of conversations that Song and I like having because it's really easy to lean on here's the right answer for your situation or for every situation in life but that hides so much. And and it's just not true. Like we know that as humans, that there's not, you know, we don't make the same decision the same way every time. So I'm really glad that, that you, you all brought that up. So yeah, thank you both so much for joining us. This conversation, so interesting and, and also challenging, but I do think that there are some 
concrete things here that really any of us can can take, you know, startup founders or not. What are our values and how are you living them out? And if you don't name them, you can't follow them or you can't know when you have to make a decision of which value to follow. So I think that talking about those in really general ways are incredibly useful for startup founders, but also just good for us as humans to sort of attempt to deal with some of the really challenging decisions or things in our life. Sarah, you actually made me think of one more thing. And I think it's also, you probably wrestle with this. How do we define ethics? How do we talk about ethics? Um, so do we have another hour (laughs) i'll do it semi-quickly but you're right that there are so many things where there's no clear answer right when when you're making some of these nuanced ethical decisions but ethics is also essentially a social contract understanding the culture that we operate in or even subculture that we operate in and that there are norms that exist there sometimes they're written into law but other times they're spoken and unspoken So, you know, there are general ones that we all know (laughs) that include big things like, you know, legal things or things like fraud. So when at Ethics MVP, we talk about that values are, you know, what I believe and ethics becomes what we practice. And we build on that concept of ethics as a social contract and ethics become your values and actions. So... I think for like future conversations, questioning like what we even mean when we say ethics, how do we talk about it? How do we frame it for others? Is that that's an important thing for us to do to make it accessible? Anyway, thank you for letting me add that on. We can join your next podcast for what is what is ethics. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Thanks for joining this episode and for getting the word out about the podcast. If you haven't already, please connect with us on Effing Ethical on Instagram. That's F-I-N-G underscore ethical on Instagram. Or write to us at hello at songandsarah.com to say hi, tell us how we're doing, or if you have any topics that you'd like to hear about. Thanks. See you soon.